have to say, I love my job. I came home a couple of weeks ago from work. It was a Sunday evening after worship and some meetings. It had been a long day. And I came in and my husband asked me, well, how was your day? And I looked at him and honestly just said, I love my job. What happens here is I get to sit in, uh, in rooms with you as you share uh, your dreams, your goals, your struggles, and the way that God is really moving in each of you in unique and exciting and transformative ways. And I sit across from you, ordinary people, and I think, who am I? Who am I that I would get to experience God in this way, that I would get to experience God and how you're experiencing God and the way God is moving and leading you? And I just have to say again, I truly, truly love my job. I am really excited this morning to continue in our series, Dear Skeptic, where we have been wrestling with some questions, some doubts, um, some some issues that both believers and non-believers have with the Christian faith. And you guys have done an awesome job so far. We have wrestled with some big stuff. We've uh, looked at the Bible and how could that actually be true. We've talked about science. We've even talked about sex. And today we are going to look at the central figure of the Christian faith and talk about our problems with Jesus. And while we have had some really big questions, some big struggles and things to tackle, what I really want to encourage you to do is to continue this wrestle on your own. It would actually be really easy for me to stand up here and say, I have all the right answers, just do what I do and believe what I believe. But more than that, I really want you to take your questions, take these these, uh, possible solutions, take this guidance, and really continue to work out your faith um, on your own, in prayer, with scripture, with Christian community. Because I want you to not more than just accept what I say or what David has said, as I want these to become your beliefs, beliefs that you can really own, that you can live by, you can lead your families by. So I strongly encourage you to continue to wrestle with these questions and others that you might have, and I would be honored to walk alongside you as you struggle with those. And like I said, today we're going to talk about Jesus and the, the problems that people have. And I think the really big problem that most people really have with Jesus is the fact that Jesus changes everything. And I'm going to get to what I mean by that. But before we begin, will you please pray with me? Gracious God of all things good, who creates us and calls us yours. God, we are so honored that you would be willing to let us know you, that you would call us to know you more, that we can come with our questions and our doubts and our struggles, and Lord, you accept them, and you pour into us in a way that we can find a resolution. Lord, we uh, are just so humbled that you would uh, beckon us to this place, that you would fill this space with your presence, that you would continue to lead our lives, our thoughts, our prayers, our actions, God. And we just pray that they would continue to be drawn closer and closer to who you are and who you've designed us to be. God, we are uh, just amazed at your ongoing love, and we are um, in awe to to be among you and that you would wish to be among us. Lord, we say all these things and pray in your name. Amen. Um, So I did want to point out there were two books that were really uh, helpful when I was preparing for today. Um, And actually, there were three, sorry. The first was the Bible. (laughs) 
And I say that because I really want to continue to encourage and, and, and push you to dive into the scriptures. Um, this is still the most important book that we can read about our faith. This is the most important book that tells us the true nature of God. God at work in the lives of beings just like you and me. God showing up and showing us who God is despite all of our failures and mishandlings. I strongly encourage you to, to, to develop a practice of reading the scriptures regularly um, and finding God there. There was another book uh, entitled The Problem with God, written by Mark Clark. And this was a really nice book that offered some really big questions and struggles that both I knew that I had and some that I didn't know that I had as I was reading through that, um, and offered some really uh, solid Christian uh, principles on how to kind of look at these questions and these issues. Another book that was really helpful is entitled 40 Days of Doubt. This was a short little devotional written by Eric Huffman, who's actually a UMC pastor here in Houston. And this is really written for the non-believer. This was a simple little book to read. Um, it was really helpful with some simple, clear answers to some of those big questions. This is one I would encourage you not only to read for yourself, but to truly pass to a friend who might also be skeptical and be having some questions. But let's go ahead and tackle this first big problem with Jesus. And this is this idea of how can Jesus be the only right religion. And David touched on this last week with this idea of exclusivity, where how can we as Christians say that we're the only ones that have it right? How can we look at so many good, God-loving people and say they've got it wrong? Or even those who don't believe in God, who still live a life that's valuable of others and, 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 and striving to be good. How can we look at our brothers and sisters who believe in the same God that we do, yet don't believe in Jesus and say, you've got it wrong? I mean, isn't this this exact issue that Jesus comes complaining about to the current religious leaders? It is, because I believe that Jesus came to tear down religion, not win as the best one. We see throughout scriptures that Jesus points to the religious leaders and says they have made God heavy, hard to get close to. And he points out many ways that this is actually not um, who God is, and it's not how God wants us to get to know God. We can look in the book of Matthew, the entire verse, uh, excuse me, the entire chapter 23 points out all the ways these Jewish leaders are just not getting it right. The way that these religious leaders are focused more on rules than a relationship. In verses 1 and 3, Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. What Jesus is doing, he's liking um, the, the religious leaders as a judge, as one to say, you are right, you are wrong, you are worthy, you are unworthy, and you must do all the things that they say you must do or you will not be accepted by God or God's community. And he says, don't, don't do what they do because they're actually hypocrites. He goes on in verse 13 to say these exact words, woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. I don't know if you've ever had a door slammed in your face, but it is not a nice experience. In 23, woe to you, 
teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You might be giving up a tenth of all your possessions, but you haven't even given a smidge of your heart. He continues, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You might look all nice and perfect on the outside, but inside you are corrupt and evil. He ends this chapter with these words, you snakes, you brood of vipers. What we see is that Jesus continually points to these religious leaders and say, this is no way to interact with God. This is no way to build a relationship with God. Focus more on rituals and rites and meeting certain expectations instead of learning who God is. He points out and says, you know, you don't have to pray all loud and showy in public. Just be honest in your prayers. You don't have to be overly concerned with all of these rules to the point that you're missing opportunities to love your neighbor. You don't have to make your face all ugly and show that you're fasting so everyone will know the sacrifices that you've given up. He says, no, do it in private because it's between you and God. And the only way to be closer to God is to be closer to God, to be real, to be authentic. This last year, I had the very hard uh, task of leading uh, my first memorial service. And it was for a very close family, family member. And when I was meeting with his mother and sisters, they made it very clear from the very beginning they didn't want anything religious happening. Which I thought was a really odd request since they also asked me <laughs> to lead it. But actually, it wasn't so odd at all. Because I told them very clearly, I am not religious. I have a relationship with God. I am in communion and communication with God. I am loved by God, and I love God with my whole life. And it's nothing about rules and rituals and guidelines. And that is something I can't take off in order to fill your request. And see, what Jesus does is Jesus changes religion from a set of rules to a relationship. He insists that the only way to be closer to God is not through rules, not through customs, not through rituals, not through expectations that you have to meet, not some sort of acceptable line you have to reach, but that the only way to be closer to God is through God. And that brings me to my second problem a lot of people have with Jesus. How can Jesus be God? This is a question a lot of, of non-believers have with Jesus, a lot of, something they just can't get over. They will agree that Jesus is a good man, a great man, a man with great teachings that we should really all strive to live our life after, even say he's a man of God, they can hold to this idea that he's a great man, but they just cannot accept that Jesus is God. Jesus is a great man, but Jesus is not 
God. The problem with this theory is that Jesus, this great man, clarifies his identity. If you're going to believe that Jesus is a great man worthy of praise and adoration and even modeling some of your life after because of the way he taught and the way he lived his life, then you have to also read his very own words when he says who he is. Because he's not vague. He states very clearly who he is. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly. I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And this phrase, I am, means a lot. And it definitely meant a lot to the the Jewish culture Jesus is speaking to. This phrase, I am, is the very answer that God self gives to Moses when Moses asks, who shall I say has sent me? God responds, I am. This is not bad grammar. This is not misinscription. This is God explaining who God is, giving God's true identity in the full existence of all being. I am all things. All things come from me. I have always been. I will always be. I am the act of being. And Jesus declares this very same identity. Again, in Mark 14, 61 through 62, Jesus confirms again when, again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. Later in John 10, 30, Jesus says clearly, I and the father are one. So if we're going to take Jesus' words and actions and say they are good and they are righteous, then we have to take all of them. And Jesus, if he is not God but says that he is, then he's either crazy or he's got some twisted manipulative scheme in the works. In John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. When we believe in Jesus, Jesus changes our understanding of God. It forces us to reconcile with the Old, the Old Testament God of vengeance and smite and shows us that God is willing to come face to face with us in order that we would know God, that we would learn to be in relationship with God, and that God could offer all of God's promises to us. Let's talk about a problem that that may stump some of you. I know this is one that stumps your children because they ask me about it all the time, especially this time of the year. (laughs) Why did Jesus have to die? And that's a hard one for me, too. I mean, why would God send anyone to die for me 2,000 years ago for the sins I'm committing today? That, that's a tricky one. It's hard to understand. But what if we talk about Jesus as being killed? 
I am not trying to change your entire theology this morning, but what I want to do is I want to look at a situation from a different angle. I find that often this helps me see something in a new light, so I encourage you to walk with me. Because when I read our scriptures, I don't find concrete evidence of Jesus uh, building an altar and climbing on top of it as as, as the Jews were instructed to do in the Old Testament. I don't see Jesus presenting himself to the high priest. I'm God, here I am. I'll be the sacrifice. What I read in our scriptures are repeated stories of Jesus being arrested, being beaten, being hung on a criminal's cross until the weight of his own body pulls on his lungs and he can no longer breathe. but why? This is where I actually want to invite you to drive and dive into the scriptures with me. We're going to look at Luke 4, verses 16 through 29. There's a Bible in front of you. You're welcome to pull out your smartphone and pull it there. Um, They're also, it's going to be on the screen, but we're going to look at where Jesus kind of has his first public uh, ministry and uh, see, see what we can find together. Luke 4, 16 through 29. It begins, he referring to Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Cyrene. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So Jesus comes home, and he reads from the prophet Isaiah this promise 
of restoration, this promise of God's victory that these people have been waiting for for over 4,000 years. And after reading it, he says, it's fulfilled. It's going to happen. And at first, they're excited. They are overjoyed. They can't believe it's Jesus telling them, right? Who's this guy? We know him. But he soon stops them and points out, your, your applause will fade. You will soon mock me, telling me to save myself. You will soon repeatedly ask me for an another sign, pushing me to prove to you that I am who I say I am. And he points out that no prophets are accepted in his hometown. He also points out two prophets that did their work, that proclaimed God's glory, that did their healings outside of the group expecting the miracle. And this is something that they are very upset about. Because what happens in this, in this, in this piece is that Jesus is telling them, this glory, this freedom, this is not just for you. This is for all people. This is not some special Lord's favor that will rain on just the Israelites. This is not for, for you who think that you've got it right. Actually, this freedom, this sight is coming to all. All those that you don't expect, even to those oppressors who hold you down. I am even bringing that freedom to them too. And this is something that his, the people in his hometown, the people he grew up with that knew him the best, could not fathom to hear to the point that they get up, chase him out of town to off a cliff in order to stone him. But Jesus got away. And he went about several other towns in this region preaching this same message and healing people outside of the accepted group. Several times Jesus has tried to be caught they try to trap him, and several times he gets away. Until one night, he's in a garden, and he's praying. And this is the night that he and the Jewish people have just celebrated God's greatest liberation so far. The, the day that they are celebrating when God took God's people out of the literal bonds of slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the wilderness. And after that celebration, Jesus is praying in a garden. And he's arrested. And he's given a mock trial. And he's brought before these very same people who have been awaiting this Messiah. And they yell, crucify, until they finally do. Where's the miracle here? The miracle is that Jesus changes death. Jesus takes this cross, this symbol of the worst death imaginable, the persecution that is given to those who even try to oppose those in power, and he turns it into the greatest story of forgiveness we have ever seen. Because Jesus changes forgiveness. He changes it from something that we must do in order to experience God, changes it from something that we must 
be willing to do within one another in order to get closer to God, to being what God is willing to do of us. God's self who comes in in this human creation is willing to even go to death in order that we could be forgive to in order to forgive us for all of this horribleness that we do. And this forgiveness this forgiveness takes a death that is so morbid and full of so much blood because this level of forgiveness, this forgiveness that forgives not only things that have happened in the past, but for all the evil that is to come, that level of forgiveness is a sacrifice. And you see, Jesus changes sacrifice. Jesus changes it from this thing that we must be willing to offer, this thing that we must be willing to do in order to earn God's favor, in order to be cleansed, to be made whole, to be restored back into God's grace. And Jesus turns that into something that God is willing to do for us so that we may have that very same relationship, so that we may be restored to God's original design for us, which is to be in holy communion with God Every day. And when I get to this point, friends, I have to be honest and share my real biggest problem with Jesus. When I think about this death and this forgiveness and this sacrifice, I have to ask, who am I? Who am I that the God of all creation would come to this level so that I would know who I belong to, where I'm worthy, and to be in that full connection with God? Friends, in just a few moments, we are going to have the opportunity to participate in Holy Communion this opportunity to be a part of this redemption and love that God offers so freely through Jesus Christ. Because you see, Jesus even changes these simple elements of bread and juice into redemption and restoration. From our darkest and deepest of sins, from the things that can separate us from God that feel like there's no way coming back, with Jesus, he says there is. And this is a free gift offered to all that would be willing to accept it. And not only do we get to come and participate in this and come and receive this amazing grace, this amazing love that restores us and makes us new, but then we get to leave with this truth and go forth out into the world knowing that with Jesus, Jesus changes everything.